0: Hello and welcome to the Analysis Mason podcast. My name is David Abekassis and I am a partner in Analysis Mason's consulting division.
1: And my name is Vishal Martha. I'm the global head of engagement at the Telecom Infra Project.
0: Today's podcast is a fireside chat between the two of us discussing open and disaggregated network technologies and the role that the Telecom Infra Project, or TIP for short, plays in this emerging ecosystem. So if you want perhaps to begin about uh, the context in which the telecom industry is uh, is finding itself in, uh, and it's a it's pretty unique context. There's some challenges and I think these challenges are really a continuation of challenges we've been seeing for the last five years, five to 10 years. Uh, and there's some, some new opportunities as well. And I wanted to highlight uh, three trends uh, that I believe are key to understanding where we're at and, and where we're going. The first trend is the investment cycle that's already underway and uh, this cycle Uh, we'll see an expansion of the reach of full fiber networks, uh, including fiber-to-the-home networks and the fiberization of mobile infrastructure Um, and uh, investment to bring the benefits of fiber to wireless devices. And that's largely through uh, 5G networks. That's that's kind of the big trend. Um, But we also see some really good innovations in in Wi-Fi. Um, Telcos are investing investing tens of billions in fiber-to-the-home, and there's a lot going on uh, both here in Europe, in the US, across all higher income countries. And I think what's really interesting is there's also a ton of investment happening in countries like India or Malaysia, for example. Uh, And there's also a lot going on under the sea. Um, There's clearly a boom in investment in submarine cables uh, and also in space. Uh, We talk a lot about Starlink. Uh, There's a renewed uh, interest in in companies like OneWeb, for example. Then 5G, Uh, we do a lot in this space. There's been an incredible level of interest and and some might say hype uh, around 5G. It's fair to say it's still early days, but um, we're now in a good place. Spectrum is available quite, quite broadly. In most high-income markets, you can now get a 5G service. That's going to be a, a good improvement on, on your 4G service. It's not really transformative yet. And the net, next stage of investment, will see 5G networks become independent from 4G. That's what uh, some, some people refer to as standalone 5G. And we will rely increasingly on software-defined network functions, uh, offering benefits like lower latency and more differentiated quality of service. The second trend is the increasing financialization of telecom infrastructure with large infrastructure investors, including um, PE firms and pension funds, paying large multiples to to own fiber and mobile infrastructure and lease it back to operators. Uh, We've seen the first forays into infrastructure-focused companies buying active network assets, not just the towers, but also the network assets, the radios, uh, with Celnex acquisitions of um, Polcom teleinfrastructure in, in Poland in February. The third trend uh, third and last trend is an increasing focus on security and resilience. Uh, there's, uh, there's clearly changes afoot in the geopolitical environment and, and the pandemic also outlined the needs for communications infrastructure uh, to be really secure, to be trustworthy and trusted and to be resilient. Um, so that's been, that's not really new. That's been the case for a while in, in core telecoms networks and particularly those that are owned by incumbent operators that are used by you know governments and militaries around the world. But it's now a reality across all types of networks, and in particular in mobile networks, as they become more versatile, more essential to delivering critical services. And one particular aspect of this trend uh, that, that we'll talk about quite a bit today uh, is the vendor diversification strategies that many countries have embarked on, and uh, that includes the designation of specific vendors as a, as a high risk in particular. And we're seeing that in the UK, in the EU, in the US, in India even uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, and in a few other markets. So uh, with, with this said, Vish, um, the, the work that we've been doing uh, looks at all these factors from the perspective of open and disaggregated networks. And there are many people uh, in the industry that we've uh, we've spoken to during the study that really see this as a critical component of how we can address challenges and really harness the trends that I've described. So before I, I kind of go into the findings of our study, it'd be great if you could explain briefly what uh, open and disaggregated networks are and the role that TIP plays in this emerging ecosystem.
1: Thanks, David. Um, actually, I appreciate the way you've laid out these three
0: trends. Um,
1: and in fact, if, let me try and address this question that you've posed in the, in the way what TIP's role is within the context of the industry and perhaps some of the impact we've seen. Um, I mean, it's fair to say the, uh, the telecoms industry is at a cusp of a paradigm shift. Uh, I personally predict that we will see more examples of changes in the overall value chain structure uh, with new ways of how and where networks are procured and built and deployed and managed and by whom. Um, We'll see more examples of investors and policymakers and the technology industry coming together to enable and accelerate um, core connectivity opportunities and challenges where they are, whether it's bridging the digital divide or building, enabling connectivity solutions for smart cities or enterprise private networks for industrial IoT, whatever. And I think we'll see more examples of innovation as we see convergence in technology and business models between telcos, cloud, and service provision and management. But um, I, I personally think there's, there's already a massive groundswell of rev- almost revolutionary change in the industry and the industry is setting a new foundation. So let's, let's go back to your question about what is open disaggregated network solutions and, and just break that question down a little bit. The, the fact is the global industry is already shifting in this direction and it's not a new concept. Standards bodies like 3GPP and ORAN Alliance um, and maybe even some of the um, open source communities like Linux Foundation, they've already been working on turning closed environments to open environments. And, and in that shift, in talking about how networks are built and managed from a standards perspective. The whole ideology is basically um, bringing about cot-space hardware and, and taking the intelligence out of that and putting it into the software. So softwareization can lead to more virtualization strategies as well as cloud native architectures being developed over time. And that is the shift that's happening. At TIP, you know, we've been here around for five years already and we're, we're central to this as well. Um, our core business is to accelerate from standards definition to commercially viable solution that is uh, tested, procurable and deployable in the market. And within that context, we're already seeing a change in the supply chain in the industry. So let me talk about some of the paradigm shifts that are happening. Um, We're going from the few large vendors to many. We're going from proprietary interfaces to open interfaces. We're going from vendor-led product roadmaps to operator-led requirements and roadmaps from that. We're going from single-vendor resilience in networks to multi-vendor resilience and improvements, therefore. And actually, we're changing the pace of innovation through diversity as well. So how is TIP doing all of this? And and therefore, what's our business model? Um, Look, our our job is to act as a delivery platform within the context of what the industry, other industry associations are doing. We are the de facto productization, testing, and release sort of uh, platform for open and disaggregated solutions. And they are built based upon standards and they're based on the requirements that are defined in the industry. Now, our belief in TIP is the swiftest action for change is through the collective. There's no point having single operator solutions or single vendor solutions or small consortia. We need to drive a critical mass of change. And therefore, TIP as an an association is all about bringing a diverse set of organizations, large and small, telcos, vendors, OEM, system integrators, research institutes, some are competing against each other in their own markets. Why does it work really? It's basically on the basis that we're quite methodical. We, we have trusted process and procedure around gathering product requirements and use cases, translating those into requirements compliance from the supplier community and therefore roadmaps, multi-year roadmaps. And then the whole ideology is through sort of release delivery, we reduce the testing cycle time by having global testing strategy around product areas and then reduce the time to market by badging and signaling um, the maturity and readiness of solutions in the market. And we put them out on our tip exchange. The point is, there's no point doing this in isolation as a community. We obviously set the agreements and partnerships that we need with the standards bodies, with the open source community, with the other associations that are already defining their own sort of areas of of um, development. Now, we are engineering first. So the idea is that our community works on end-to-end network access backhaul and, and core edge network slicing. And there is a realization that from engineering ideology and productization, it leads quite quickly to some of the trends you're talking about, especially around densification of networks. So within a 5G context, we know that adds additional cost pressure on the industry. Um, And whatever the case, the whole ideology is, the benefit of open and disaggregation should not only just bring choice to the procurer of a solution, but also TCO benefit, and in fact, speed to market. Um, So TIP is very interested, the community is very interested in making sure it builds learning. So therefore, whatever we take into a lab environment, to a plug fest, into a field, we need to make sure those learnings are shared back, not only in the technology readiness, but also the commercial and operational readiness. And in fact, actually, David, when you look at this, when you look at end-to-end solutions that are trying to solve some of those chronic connectivity, real-life issues, like um, you know covering the unconnected or uh, rural ec- coverage expansion or densification in an urban area, then you actually end up opening up new business models. So there's no reason why we can't change that traditional value chain structure and bring in new players, like you said on your second trend, um, where there is a new investment cycle coming in to the market, where actually we can look and explore other business cases.
0: It's definitely a very unique positioning that you've chosen for, for TIP and that you're pursuing. And, uh um, you know, all the points that you, that you raised came, came to the fore in the interviews that we conducted for the study. Um, sure. and I think it's fair to say that, um, underpinning all the efforts that everybody in, 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 in this community are making, uh, are a very ambitious set of objectives, right? You're, you're trying to transform the way in which, uh, networks are conceived, designed, deployed, and Absolutely. operated. Mm-hmm. So, uh, having a lot of different parties, right? Uh, and, and, uh. Um, you know, I'm really interested in 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 how um, you're kind of defining success. What 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 does success look like, and, and what you know, if we if we if we have a chat in five years, what would you be happy with, and and what would you be ecstatic about? Well, okay,
1: let me let me try and take a sort of a, a sort of a, a near term view first. Look, uh, you know, Tip is a facilitator in the industry, and uh, as a part of that, there's no reason why we shouldn't see how a number of participants increasing we have hundreds of participants within the the tip community uh, we're, we, we run project groups and we have eight product groups at the moment like open ran open optical packet transport open Wi-Fi open core etc which have their own distinguished communities and they cover the full stack um, within that system you know a, an engineering system from definition of white base uh, white white base white box cotton based hardware to the testing and maturing of core software functions that might be running virtually or in the cloud to actually building a level of orchestration and automation um, based on AI and ml practices just to ensure that actually the industry is shifting towards multi-vendor solution stacks and that needs another new level of organization and management and all on the basis that what this delivers are mature commercially ready and economically viable solutions for the market so that's that's our paramount interest and we measure our success by effectively the sort of the level of momentum that we're seeing in the industry at the moment so right now we can say the the community is involved in 50 plus trials and commercial deployments around the world some of them are already within our community labs i mean I lose count of how many we have. Somewhere around fifteen community labs around the world, and on TIP Exchange, which is ends up becoming a platform of choice for procurers and and uh, testers out there, we have a hundred plus products, hundred plus products that are already TIP badged in terms of their maturity and readiness to be taken to market, and some of them already GA solutions out there, i.e., they are already. Available in the market after having been incubated through the TIP process, um, namely in, say, dis- uh, disaggregation in the cell site gateway space or in the transponder space in the packet transport uh, arena. And actually, now we are seeing teleco- telcos deploying these solutions in their commercial networks, in commercial networks which already have incumbent vendor technology in place. So that shows they can be integrated in. Where will this go in five years' time? Well, actually, David, I can, I can give you my personal perspective. I feel Open RAN, open network solutions are inevitable. Because of the increased competition as well that we're bringing to the table, we'll see more supplier choice and diversity. And some of those suppliers that may be small now should be able to scale and grow as they start to really build their own operational uh, sort of capacity. To manage, you know, uh, the sort of the solutions they have in the market. What that will do is, in turn, um, improve the cost structure in in the in the network investment portfolio. And because of the pace of innovation that we're seeing in technology and business cases, I think what will it's reasonable to say we will see more four G, five G coverage and co- capacity being deployed um, where it's needed. And I think. We will start to really tackle those 4 billion people who are still unconnected out there. Uh, we'll look at dense urban connectivity solutions, whether it's open RAN uh, based, whether it's multi uh, tenant or single tenant. We'll see private enterprise networks being opened up for low latency apps as well. But I, I have a question back for you, actually, David. I mean, from the work that Analysis Mason has been doing, um, and is highlighting in this upcoming report. Could you expand on this a little bit, um, maybe more clearly characterize the benefits of open and disaggregated networks, and why what TIP and its participants are trying to do matters?
0: Yes, so these are all fantastically interesting questions, in and that that's exactly what we try to articulate in the report. So let me start by describing uh, the questions that we had at the start of our work and and, and then what we found. Um, our first question uh, was what do operators expect from open disaggregated network technologies? There's a lot of talk about cost reduction uh, and and certainly TCO benefits, total cost of ownership benefits are part of the story. Um, but what we found in the the interviews that we that we conducted with operators, equipment and solution vendors systems integrators uh, which are a big part of this emerging ecosystem you mentioned automation uh, and orchestration and really system integration testing and validation are are, um, essential uh, if you're not relying on a single vendor and even Mm -hmm. when we talk to policymakers, um, we we found a a picture that was pretty complex and, and and definitely nuanced in terms of the expectations Perhaps the most important aspect for for the operators uh, was the promise of network solutions that were better tailored to their needs. uh, And that really delivered on, for example, the promise of software defined networking. You know, we've been talking about this for for a long time. It's a reality in the data center, for instance, it's not yet a reality in public telecoms networks. The way in which we characterize this in our report was by talking about how vendors could deliver more differentiated features, for instance, that were really what operators wanted. Uh, for example, and there's a really interesting example from, uh, from one of the operators that we spoke to. Um, it could be software that can be integrated in the radio access network to better optimize uh, massive MIMO antenna systems. So these are really complex antenna systems that, um, that leverage spatial and, and uh, temporal diversity in, in radio signals to create more capacity and better coverage, simply said. Sure. But it's really hard to optimize. Um, and uh, by having an open and disaggregated set of network functions, um, this operator thought that they could really select and deploy the, the best in breed in terms of the algorithms that, that could be used to, to do this optimization um, and effectively something that was best suited to their requirements in potentially different algorithms in, you know, the center of Madrid and, uh, and, uh, and um, you know, rural areas in Alicante, for instance, for example. And what this should enable operators to do, ultimately, and I think Vishu, you, you expressed it really well, is to innovate faster. Uh, and you know, I don't know whether to be uh, amused, amazed, or slightly scared at the, the fact that we're hearing folks talking about 6G um, when there's still so much to do with 5G, right? Uh, yeah. But 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 perhaps that's not such a big deal, right? Um, uh, and, and 6G, what it might be, and personally, I think that it, it's essential for it to be successful, right? But it's what it might be is a a a series of enhancements over and above 5G that can be deployed progressively as technology matures. And that could be through software and firmware updates. Um, And and that's made in a way much more natural, much easier on open and disaggregated networks. You don't have to rely on a single vendor. You you know, you can adopt things from from the right vendor at the right time for you. Um, So that's a big change compared to what operators still have to contend with today. Uh, because today they still wait for vendors to implement what they need. Uh, and at the same time, you know, they're being pushed to invest in stuff that perhaps they don't really want or, or don't really see the point of uh, given their current, uh, their current demand. Absolutely. So in the, in the short term, and I don't want to minimize this point, I think that's really essential. There's a big focus on interoperability with existing networks. I think you made that point also very well. Um, and, and that, that, that feeds into also uh, service continuity and, and, and security. And there's no way operators would just go out and, and strip out their existing networks, forklifting new equipment. That's not going to happen this way. Um, it's really interesting to look at the technical requirements that, uh, you know, Vodafone, Deutsche Telekom, Orange, Telefonica, and uh, I think now even Telecom Italia Mobile uh, published maybe three days ago, four days ago, mm-hmm. um, um, based on the the, the the memorandum of understanding they signed a couple of months ago. Um and so they focus specifically about open run, but I think that's that's instructive for the whole open and disaggregated ecosystem. Um, and, and they have a they have a, a few areas of focus that really tell you where, where things are going. Uh, so first they're focusing on open front hall. And, and I think that's really to accommodate the existing and ongoing investments in massive MIMO. This is by far the most expensive part of 5G networks today. Um, they also focus on compatibility with legacy technology, including 2G and 3G. Um, you know, we had a client ask us a question, uh, literally on Friday, uh, asking us whether uh, if they wanted to keep operating a sensor network on 2G, that would be, that would go against uh, the UK uh, uh, diversification strategy. and and mm. It it won't because the operators can't let that happen. They they have to be able to make all of this work seamlessly together. Um, and the last point is support for shared networks. So we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but clearly uh, in the context of higher investment intensity, um, a financialization of telecoms assets, network sharing is really you know, where we're at, right? It's not, it's not just an ambition. It's something that everybody, everybody has to do. Uh, and this, needs, this all needs to be done in a way that security of the networks is not compromised and is in fact, instead enhanced. Um, and there's a paper from the, the Open Ride Policy Coalition on this topic that came out, I think a few weeks ago. And the last benefit, uh, which interestingly is is pushed primarily by policymakers today, uh, is diversification of the supply chain. So there's a lot to say here. We probably can't go into a lot of details. but uh, And we're also still grappling with what this looks like in practice. But simply put, it's about not being reliant on two or three large vendors anymore. It's about choice. And it's about resilience in the supply chain. you know, some, some countries in, in Europe, in the U.S. Uh, have taken the decision to exclude what they call high-risk vendors from, from 5G supply chain, and that's a big headache from some operators. And there's no doubt about this. Um, uh, and in practice, that means that they have to buy from, uh, uh, from one or two large vendors today. Uh, so it's good for those vendors, but it feels risky. Uh, what if there's a problem with the kits? Mm-hmm. What if uh, these vendors start innovating more slowly? What if they decide to increase prices a lot? And there's nothing preventing them from doing that so clearly there's there there are really good properties in a more diverse supply chain and that can really unleash innovation and manufacturing in places where it's constrained today by a lack of downstream market access you you you, i think made this point about small vendors but it's also about a greater diversity of where the vendors are based and come from Uh, and we're looking at india in more details at the moment and there's a whole industry there that could really grow global if um, open and disaggregated networking Successfully reduces the barriers to entry in the global supply chain that uh, that that they face today. So, I mean, I thought at this point it'd be great. Perhaps I don't know if you want to uh, perhaps build on building on on the points I've, I've just raised, but just explain perhaps how uh, TIP is working towards all of these points. I don't know if you can see that. Absolutely.
1: Um, allow me to give a few points of reflection. Um, number one none of our community is really actively working on 6G yet in TIP, but the point around innovation cycle is certainly being addressed. And I loved your your sort of reflection on how policymakers are thinking about it, as as well as how the the service provider industry is thinking about it. Um, Bringing in more suppliers within to the value chain and being able to validate where they fit within a solution stack does offer choice, does offer um, a better way to break the lock-ins that exist already and open up innovation. Now, the fact is what we need to do is do this in a pragmatic way. And that's why TIP is really focused on doing this in a roadmap-driven approach. That's how products are built. That's the most effective way to do that at an industry level. Um, So each product group has a roadmap of its own kind that drives a multi-year program of work. And what we do is make sure there's transparency and it's a deliverable oriented approach, et cetera. So that there is clarity for all players within the industry. And there is a level playing field here. It's large and small coming together. Um, Second point is, I've got five points. So second point really, interoperability, service continuity, security by design are fundamentals within the productization. Because the fact is the majority of networks, as you quite rightly said, they're not greenfield. They are working within environments that they either have to continue service for citizens benefits for businesses, but also to make sure that they can build in new technology into their current infrastructure with their current vendor uh, sort of community. Um, Third point, Requirements compliance as opposed to feature compliance. I think that's a really important shift in tip as well. So we want to make sure that solutions are built fit for purpose. So if the if you're, what you say is correct, then the, you know the five major European operators coming together and distinctly talking about open Frontal for massive MIMO, that is going to be front and center as a part of them defining what the technical product. Um, and potentially operational requirements would be to develop out a solution that meets their their requirement set. Um, What we like to do is then make sure that the suppliers, vendors, system integrators, and and manufacturers come to the table and and set out their level of compliance and readiness against those requirements. Um, Fourth point, a focus on softwareization. Um, not just in terms of core functionality, but also orchestration, automation with CI/CD processes. These are paramount, and this will open up the landscape for system integration. I completely agree with you that um, you know pre-commercially ready solutions don't go into the market until we can show that they are they can be integrated end to end, and they they work across the solution stack. So absolutely, the, that's why the the test testing strategy that TIP tries to facilitate and govern for the industry is based around making sure that there are moments in time where we can do an end-to-end integration, whether it's by a single operator, or whether it's by multiple participants. Um, fifth point and final point, doing this at an industry level is a gargantuan effort. And I don't. I personally believe there's no one single solution and no one single player in the market that can solve these sort of types of efforts so really this is where there is a need for a collective action and what tip is providing is just the platform for bringing a critical mass between demand supply to come together and that's the fastest and the most expedient way to bring about solutions that can actively be deployed and then and and then integrated into current networks basically so I mean, going back to what you said earlier, David, uh, can we look forward to lower costs? Um, I mean, it's clearly an area where TIP and it, the, the broader community need to be looking at because we do need to bring about competitive multi-vendor solutions in the market.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I mean, as you allude to, right, it's, uh, it's clearly both a challenge and a really important driver of success. So I think, you know, the question, can we... Uh, you know, we must, I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's something that we have to, to be able to do. But there are good reasons to, to think that this might happen. Uh, I think it's also about um, understanding how operators and vendors are thinking about this and what they expect. And when we speak to MNOs who are involved today at the call face of uh, OpenRAM, that's, that's, that's uh, you know, perhaps the, 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 the product group that's got uh, the most high profile publicly, um, they don't expect to save money straight away. Uh, They know firsthand the complexities that are involved in in making the technology work for them, Um, uh, and they see this as an investment in in real innovation, uh, real long-term innovation in in the market. In the medium term, what they see is network hardware and software that works for them. That's really suited to their requirements. I think you mentioned that point, right? And and Vodafone Mm -hmm. uh, in in a recent press release talked about requirement parity. Uh, I think that's a really good way to think about it. Um, but, but actually, I think, um, and maybe I'm sort of setting you up for uh, greater ambitions there, but the ambition should be that Open run will, will in fact deliver requirement supremacy. So the, the, the process that you've described ought to be able to deliver something that's ultimately better suited to requirement than a more closed vendor-led um, uh, process. Um, so th- those operators that are early adopters, they're willing to invest time and money today because they see open and disaggregating technology as, uh, as the way to be more in control of their networks in the future and to have more choice um, ultimately we think that in the medium term from I guess the mid 2020s onwards uh, is probably the way to, to think about it there will be cost benefits um, uh, and these cost benefits will will, will will occur through better unit economics so lower cost lower cost of capacity mm-hmm. um, and through more competition between vendors than there would be otherwise that's that's you know a really big part of it so we've done some modeling i'll talk about it in a minute but we're being pretty conservative in 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 our modeling of these benefits um because we think that there are some trends you mentioned softwareization uh and these will happen even with proprietary closed ecosystems uh they, they will happen in a slightly different way they might be less effective um but but they will happen and that will drive some efficiencies uh likewise network sharing right i mean you talked about densification that really can only happen if the architecture of network. Uh, networks and it becomes a a bit more shared. Um, But all in all, we think that open run could drive a 10 to 20% reduction in TCO uh, in the medium term. So 2025 to 2030 is where we see these benefits. Okay. And that's compared to, um, uh, uh, to a situation where this really doesn't get traction and we're we're, we're stuck with a a couple of vendors. And and that those benefits will uh, will be accessible so the way we've modeled it is that those benefits will be accessible to operators who who go down the the open run route. But really, I think the ambition is that all vendors, including the kind of big in, incumbent vendors, should adopt some of these uh, some of these um, uh, some aspects of the open run philosophy, and, and should start interoperating with with new vendors. Uh, and, and what that means is that you know, even if you don't go down the route of a a big open run transformation, you might still get some really good cost cost benefit or TCO benefits uh, out of this trend.
1: Uh, Let's go to that. I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, um, you know, the quantification of these benefits, if you can. And you talked about modeling. So is there any chance you could talk a little bit more about what sort of modeling you've done and give us some sense of numbers?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I, I don't go into too much details. There's, you know, sure. once the report is published, there will be, be a lot, a lot there. Um, but effectively what we wanted to do is to find a way to quantify these benefits for, for operators and then ultimately to the economy. So try to understand how that, how that interaction works. Mm-hmm. Um, and we built a model of the global mobile industry. We captured, um, you know, users, revenues of operators and their network costs. So it's a, it's a really large market. Um, we could have a totally separate conversation about downstream opportunities for vendors right but um uh, today's today ameno's globally turn over 8 to 9 900 billion annually so that includes all all of their revenues uh, in the mobile mobile market and they spend about half of that in network costs and that includes both capex and opex uh, so that's mm-hmm. 4 to 500 billion dollars um annually and within these network costs uh ran costs represent about 60% of the total so all in all, we're talking about an addressable market that's capex plus OPEX of $250 billion annually, just to get a sense for how big that is. Um, and we assume that OpenRAN might, might end up serving, and again, conservatively, end up serving about half this market by 2030. Uh, and that doesn't mean half the operators, but that means that uh, half the revenues in the market will be addressed through Open Run type infrastructure. And in some ways that sounds like a lot, but uh, uh, you, you know, there's a lot of momentum. Uh, I've talked about the five largest MNOs in the EU committing to effectively large-scale open-run deployment from 2022 onwards. So you know, we're talking about 2025 to 2030. These guys are um, committing in, in writing uh, in a signed document to, to do large-scale open-run deployment from 2022. So we feel that uh, you know, what we've modeled is, is definitely realistic and might even be a bit pessimistic. Um, we could get to, you know, 80, 90% of the market, right? If the big vendors um, uh, get into this ecosystem. Then we fed into the model, the the TCO uh, savings of 10 to 15% that I've mentioned before uh, from about 2025. So much lower benefits earlier on, as I explained, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, early adopters don't expect to get a lot of short-term revenues, uh, short-term benefits, sorry. Uh, But from 2025 onwards, we, we expect to get 10 to 20% uh, uh, TCO benefits. Um, and, and we get to some pretty significant cost savings, right? So we get to $15, 20000000000 billion of cost savings annually on a global basis. Uh, and we think that's going to have several effects. It, it should help pay for mobile broadband networks in areas that uh, are not covered or are poorly covered today. That's the, the point you make around connected, connecting the unconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, it should also reduce service prices and drive, uh, drive demand. Um, and ultimately, we think... Uh, that when we transform this demand, this extra demand into uh, GDP growth, uh, we think that over the next 10 years, we can, we can look forward to uh, $285 billion of additional global GDP. At the scale of global GDP, it's not a lot, but it's a very significant amount uh, at the scale of the industry. Uh, and, and that, of course, grows quite rapidly. So 2030, we expect around $90 billion of uh, annual GDP benefits. Uh, so that's pretty significant. Uh, and of course, it could be much greater. We've we've got a, a scenario where Open run becomes pretty ubiquitous and, and the benefits are, I think, around three times greater uh, over the period.
1: That's pretty significant, David. Um, and obviously, we'd love to see the, the larger vendors signing up to the vision as well, because as you mentioned, they could get to 80-90% of the addressable revenues within the RAN space. Um, and that will also drive forward more innovation. I guess what's interesting, what we're interested in seeing is that, at, uh, that benefit transitioning and Nokia is already a, a, a participant in TIP as well, which is a good sort of sense of movement. But what, in your view and based on your research, um, needs to be done to get to the more successful end of your modeling?
0: Yeah, and that's the last question we set out to address. You know what what's needed uh, to make these benefits happen. Uh, it became clear quite quickly when we were doing this work that it, it was a game of two halves. So first, you need to uh, to bring open and disaggregated network um, network tech up to the level of sophistication and reliability that operators expect and, and you know quite frankly demand, right? To to make this shift. And second, what's required for operators to then adopt these technologies. Um, so no real surprises, I guess, but, but there were some interesting insights from the research that we, that we did. So first, um, it's important to expand testing and integration of open and disaggregated, disaggregated solutions. What that means in practice is that uh, vendors, systems integrators, again, they're going to play a key role here, and operators need to be able to work uh, closely together to experiment mm-hmm. and come up with tested and validated solutions that uh, accelerate time to market and can be scaled up including in countries and for operators who perhaps don't have the same uh, the same manpower and the same uh, skills base as, as, as the largest operators. Yeah, and Again, that's our mission yeah. and tip, for sure. Exactly. Um, right. So second, it's really important to ensure interoperability remains at the core of what the industry is doing. So you and I talk, just know about um, how interoperability with the existing networks, mm. right? Uh, but it's also about creating an ecosystem that remains interoperable, interoperable at it, as it becomes more fragmented and complex potentially in terms of the vendors and solutions that are available. Uh, and, a, you know, I think we have to be lucid, right? There are real incentives for successful vendors to, uh, and, and sometimes also interestingly for policymakers, you know, for those ambitious policymakers that have uh, uh, industrial policies that are that are pretty ambitious in this space and would, would favor homegrown solutions. So it's really yeah. important for all of those um, uh, market participants to, um, to resist this temptation and, and to, to, to resist closing up standards uh, because the alternative is you know, fragmented a more fragmented ecosystem and, uh, and ultimately that could really jeopardize the prospects of open networks. Um, and the third point is that policymakers have a, have a, have a really important role to play. Um, they can help seed demand for, for, for this technology by um, in particular articulating how initiatives like OpenRAN fit into their vendor diversification strategies and then their mm-hmm. broader industrial strategies uh, they can share and adopt best practices between themselves um, and and we see that uh, and we want to see more of this in spectrum management in, in security and resilience standards and of course they can help uh, de-risk and support financial investment in innovative solutions and that's what some of the large european operators are calling for um, so we're seeing a lot of momentum on all these fronts. You know, Over the last week or two, uh, we've seen the UK release its vendor diversification strategy and that explicitly calls for an acceleration in the adoption of Open RAN. Uh, we got more details on the MOU that, uh, that we discussed earlier between um, European operators um, that are committing to implementing Open RAN really rapidly across Europe. Uh, and, and that's uh, really a lot of positive news for the, for the ecosystem.
1: David, thank you very much for the detailed remarks. Um, I, I feel this global impact study has come at the right time, not only for TIP, but also for the industry at large. Um, It's key for our participants as well as policymakers to see that open and disaggregated network solutions is not an idea anymore, it's a reality. Um, And it will have massive, positive, far-reaching impacts globally. So that's very good. I completely agree with you though, that there's more work to be done. Um, and those the sort of the charter that you just laid out seems to express that pretty well. Um, from a TIP perspective, I'm super excited. Um, you know, we are changing the industry and they're already catalyzing effects that are spurring that change journey. So as you mentioned already, the, you know, the, the efforts such as the large European uh, operators coming together on open RAN requirements is, will have a transformative effect on global adoption of open RAN. I'm pretty sure of that. And we, uh, uh, we're, very sort of excited to see that, and policymakers within UK, India, Indonesia, US, Germany, etc., you know, looking to foster choice, um, uh, build sort of capacity in local talent and supplier diversity. Obviously, will spur new innovation and new players coming into the market. Um, and then thirdly, fresh capital injection and interest into new business models and technology innovation as we move. Towards you know five G standalone and five G cloud and six G, um, you know will help to also solve these business cases that are been chronic in as we shift in you know five uh, G into mature and emerging markets. So I think we're going to start to see a real change in that traditional value chain that we've been expecting and uh, used to. I I think from my perspective, I my main ask to anyone out there who's interested in in this space, if you haven't joined TIP, then join TIP. Because from my perspective, um, a critical mass of organizations coming together to collectively address this change journey is absolutely paramount. What about you, David?
0: So, From my side, the short term, I would encourage you to download and and read the paper uh, and to get in touch with us to to discuss the issues further. Uh, Longer term, we have discussions on open run, which is perhaps the highest profile, but uh, all of these issues on a really daily and weekly basis with our clients now. Uh, and, and that includes operators, but uh, increasingly also uh, uh, vendors and policy makers. So I uh, really look forward to, to seeing where this goes, um, um, you know, and, and the promise is there. Uh, uh, so, you know, hopefully it will be, it will be successful and, and we'll, we'll, we'll all reap the rewards of, uh, of, of all the efforts that you and your participants are, Making today
1: fantastic, thank you very much, thank you. David.
0: Thank you so much, wish for having me. That was great.